Okay, let's get it. Locked on LSU, your team every day. I'm Matt Moscona, ESPN Radio, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Alexandria, CST, and right here for the Locked on LSU podcast. A very belated uh, Merry Christmas to all of you. Hope you had a great uh, Christmas holiday if you had the day off, if you were working. Sorry about that. But uh, hope you at some point you had a chance to visit with um, friends, family, loved ones, and enjoy the season. Uh, now, kind of odd uh, the way that the week breaks up with a holiday and uh, the time that LSU's had from the SEC championship to the bowl game will be exactly three weeks. But in the same exact location, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, where LSU on Saturday will take on Oklahoma in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, part of the college football playoff national semifinal It'll be Tigers and Sooners. Winner heads to New Orleans for a January 13th date with either Ohio State or Clemson for the national championship. All of that by now you know. What we don't know is whether or not Clyde Edwards-Elair is going to play for LSU on Saturday against Oklahoma. Uh, For what it's worth, uh, Steve Ensminger, LSU offensive coordinator, made a few waves earlier this week uh, during the coordinator's press conference on Tuesday when he was asked by um, Sirius XM uh, ESPNU Radio whether or not Clyde edwards Elair would play in the game. Don't get mad at me. I have to ask you, is Clyde playing? In my mind, there's no doubt in my mind he's playing. Okay. Yes. So a lot of people heard that and made that an assumption that that was a definitive statement on Clyde's status. Uh, that was, however, just a question Steve Ensminger was asked, and he gave his opinion that Clyde would play in the ball game. It certainly seems like it is um, far more complicated than that. Uh, Thursday at um, uh, Thursday morning at the Peach Bowl was media day, and at media day is the opportunity for any player to meet with the media or the media to meet with any player or coach they want during that uh, availability. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Elair, however, was a no-show for media day. LSU officials um, told reporters there, that Clyde was receiving treatment on his injured hamstring, and that's why he was not at media day. Uh, Ed Ogeron did address the media and, of course, was asked about Clyde Edwards-Elair. And Ogeron said, quote, Clyde has not practiced yet. He ran a little bit on Wednesday straight ahead. Medically, I hope he's clear today to practice. I don't know if he will. I think he may try something today. I'm not sure. I think it's going to be a game-time decision. Ogeron also added, Quote, knowing Clyde, if he can play, he's going to try. Do I want him to play? Yes. Do I expect him to try to play? Yes. How much can he play? I don't know. So that was Ed Ogeron's comments on Clyde edwards Elair. And again, that was Thursday morning. So that's the absolute latest. But uh, Clyde's status clearly still very much up in the air for Saturday's game. What we know is that it's a hamstring injury that was suffered on Tuesday a week ago. So you would have been talking about um, roughly 10 days from injury to game on Saturday. And with a hamstring injury, just don't know if that's enough time. And when you haven't practiced, when Clyde hasn't practiced in two weeks leading up to the game, it's hard to imagine him just busting out full speed against Oklahoma with an injured hamstring. So uh, Steve Ensminger said he expects him to play. Ed Ogeron said if he's medically able, he would expect him to try. How much? Don't know. But ultimately, this is a decision that's going to come down to two things. Number one is Jack Marucci, LSU's head athletic trainer. If Jack Marucci says to Ed Ogeron, hey, Clyde is medically good, 
There's no chance of him worsening or re-injuring that hamstring if, if as relative to any other player, he is good to go medically. If Jack Marucci tells Ed Ogeron on that, then Ed will go to Clyde and say, how do you feel? And if Clyde says he wants to play, then he'll play. It is just very hard for me to imagine getting to that point by Saturday. I, if, I, if you made me guess right now, I would say Clyde absolutely dresses for the game on Saturday. I just don't see a scenario where he plays in that game on Saturday. So uh, if and when we get more information, we'll certainly pass it along. Uh, tomorrow, there is not media availability. It is just a walkthrough Friday at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It's about an hour and 15-minute practice uh, for each team. And that's it as far as media availability until the postgame. So uh, unless if something leaks between now and then or LSU issues a report, uh, we won't know uh, what Clyde Edwards-Elair's status is until the the game starts on, uh, on Saturday at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So... That's the latest on Clyde. We also got to hear from Dave Aranda and Joe Burrow. More from Steve Ensminger, Patrick Queen making waves. We'll get to all of that as we continue Locked on LSU, your team every day. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked on College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Continuing here, Locked on LSU, your team every day. As we mentioned, there's been a lot of media availability in Atlanta throughout this week, and among them was uh, LSU defensive coordinator Dave Aranda, who talked about a lot of topics, including his conversations with UNLV and the reports that he was close to becoming their head coach earlier this year. You know, it, um, I think we had this discussion um, earlier with a couple other guys. I think any time that you're presented with an opportunity. I think you, um, for, for you and for your family, you want to be able to, um, to, to look into it. And I think there's just preliminary talks and um, it was nothing more than that. I feel like, um, you know, that, that program has a, is in a great situation. I think the, the AD there and the people associated there are, are gonna be on a great track. So I'm, I wish them well. Aranda did confirm that he wants to be a head coach, and then that's been the goal for some time. But in the meantime, the goal is on beating Oklahoma. And a big part of that, of course, will be how this defense fares against Jalen Hurts and that Sooners offense. Aranda was asked if Hurts is the best runner since John Rice Plumley, who, of course, had a lot of success running the football against LSU for Ole Miss earlier this year. I would say, I would say yes. Um, I think they're, they're different. There's a different style of runner. I think Hertz likes likes to put his foot in the ground quite a bit, uh, where I think uh, Plumlee's more of uh, um, a straight line uh, guy. Where I think Hertz tries to set you up and then cut it back on you. Different styles, but both very good runners. And of course, so much of the conversation from the Oklahoma side has been about that second half against Ole Miss. Something I've pointed out often is that's an outlier. That was a game that was 31-7 to at half, and it's my firm belief that LSU exhaled 
and that's a, a, a an offense with Rich Rodriguez and John Rice Plumley that that didn't quit. And you have some really good talent at quarterback and at running back with Jerry and Ely as well. And you know, whenever you've exhaled against a team where you've got to be disciplined, LSU wasn't. But here's uh, Dave Aranda talking about what they learned in that second half against Ole Miss. I think the lessons learned would be the, the team defense aspect. And I think that's the challenge with Oklahoma is kind of what we talked about before is there's spread offense in this, but every there's so many plays, whether it's the gadget plays or, you know, it's a run in here and there's a tight end that's over here, he's blocking and then he releases late um, or it's a run this way or it looks like a run and the receiver is shallow, like he's going to run a mesh route and then he just takes up off the field. There's so many plays that they've got that are, you know, triple option plays. You have to stay on your guy. You've got to be able to have your eyes in the right spot. Two more from Aranda that I'd like for you to hear. One is about how LSU has developed depth throughout this season on defense. We want to be able to play our best in the fourth quarter. And so we go into every game anticipating um, that that fourth quarter is a must win. And so the more that we can rotate early in the game, keeping guys fresh for uh, late in the game, and I think we've been able to develop that. I think the front uh, specifically has helped us here in this this late stretch of, uh, of games, uh, just the depth that they've got. We don't miss a beat when um, you know the ones aren't in there, so to speak. And I think linebacker-wise, I think DB-wise, um, the emergence of... Uh, Flot and Maurice Hampton has allowed and freed up um, other defenders to do different things. And the players he mentioned there were not contributing early in the season when LSU had some defensive hiccups. Uh, Texas comes to mind, certainly. Uh, part of the first half against Vanderbilt and then late in that game. I mean, it's a... Depth is important in this defense, it's, and it's something they did not have early in the year. And I've talked about it a bunch, but there was that sort of that month after the, the injuries against Texas where LSU went through that month and gave guys like Glenn Logan and Rashard Lawrence and Michael Divinity and Caleb on Chasson and gave them all basically a month to go get right before that Florida game. And that allowed LSU defensively to take some lumps because they were running a lot of new players out there but get to this point now where they've built depth in guys that they can count on, and that's not what they had early in the season that they do have now, which certainly gives them an advantage. The other thing I wanted you to hear is Dave Randa talking about what changed to make this team more complete, this defense more complete as the season went along. There was, there was positive things throughout the year, whether it was the second half of Florida. I'm going to bring up halves now or let's say the first three quarters of uh, Arkansas, um, first three quarters in a couple minutes of Arkansas, or Auburn, right, the first, the first three quarters of the Auburn game. And so our issue, or one of our issues, has been finishing, has been four quarters. And a lot of it had to do, like, there is no scoreboard, man. It's not about the W or the L. It's about shutting people down. It's about stopping people, you know. And so that's a mindset that you got to be able to have. And I'll stand at the 20 after our offense scores. And as the defense walks over, jogs over, runs over, I can tell by the look in their eye that this is going to be three and out, that they're not going to score right now. No matter what the scoreboard says, you can see it. 
And so I think we've got it to where we want it to be, and we're working to get it better. I love that perspective from Dave Aranda, and it speaks to two things. He talked about the depth earlier and about how they become a more complete defense and how it lets them be better in the fourth quarter. And then you look at a couple of, of examples, the closest games that LSU came to losing this year. On the road at Texas, that 45-38 ball game where LSU had to convert to third and 17 to give themselves a two-score advantage. Otherwise, they're giving the ball back to Texas with a chance to go tie. And when you look at that game, Texas scored seven points in the first half. Seven points in the first half. 14 in the third quarter, 17 in the fourth quarter. Alabama. Bama had 13 points at halftime, put up a seven spot in the third quarter, and then 21 points in the fourth quarter, which made that game closer than it needed to be, a 21-point fourth quarter. You heard Aranda say there, it's not just about the W or the L, it's about dominating people and playing great defensively for four quarters. That's something that LSU has started to do after the Ole Miss game. The Ole Miss game is certainly the biggest outlier of them all where Ole Miss put up you know, seven points in the first half and then put up 30 points in, uh, in the second half against LSU. It was, a, it was a 58-37 game that didn't need to be like that. But then you look at, at what's happened since that game where LSU dominated Arkansas you know, 56 to 20. But again, Arkansas put up 14 points in the fourth quarter. The Texas A&M game was total domination. It was a late garbage time touchdown by the Aggies. LSU completely throttled Georgia 37 to 10. So I, I understand what Aranda is saying. LSU has built better defense. But again, fourth quarters have been this team's issue throughout the course of the season. Finishing. A couple of other players that I wanted you to hear from uh, at Media Day. One was uh, Caleb Alchasson, who talked about the Oklahoma running game. I feel like the running game is probably more underrated than what it is. People think it's a passing. They're more of a passing team, but they run the ball in a tremendous way, man. I mean, I feel like they take over the Big 12 by running the ball. So, I mean, they're definitely a top team for a reason. I mean, when you have your quarterback who's leading – I think the conference and rushing yards with almost 1,300 rushing yards, that's a lethal weapon, man. That's that's something you don't see often in, in the game of football at this age. But, I mean, it's going to be a task, a challenge that we put up to, but I feel like we're well prepared for it. Thanks for to Coach Aranda. Right, thanks, gentlemen. All right, we'll go ahead and open it up to questions. Raise your hand. We'll get you a microphone. All right, we'll start right here midway on the left. High praise from a veteran like Caleb Chasson talking about that Oklahoma running game. Grant Delpit. All-American safety, talking about Oklahoma's receivers. Um, you know, they got playmakers all in that room. Uh, you know, C.D. was a Lennon finalist for, you know, a reason. You know, he's probably, you know, the second-best receiver in the country besides Jamar. But, um, you know, they try to get him the ball a lot. You know, he's truly a playmaker. Uh, you know, they got other, you know, speed guys and guys that can catch the ball in that room. So it's going to be definitely hard to stop. Um, but, you know, C.D.'s a great player. You know, they have a lot of talent in that room. So, you know, it's going to be a fun game. Chasson, veteran, number 18 jersey. Delpit, veteran, All-American, Thorpe winner, wearing number seven. And then Patrick Queen stepped to the mic and was asked about the Oklahoma offense. No line's not great. Mike's not great, but they still make it work. Uh, Jalen Hurts is a great quarterback. Seattle's a great receiver. So I feel like if we just get the ball out of Jalen's hands and try to make other people make plays, then uh, I feel like 
our defense can make plays in space. So I feel like man, with this game plan we got, we're going to uh, dominate them. And I feel very confident in what we got. Audio courtesy of Brandon Drum, OUinsider.com. And sometimes you wonder why inexperienced players or players that are inexperienced with the media don't often meet with the media. Uh, Patrick Queen gave OU bulletin board material, said the offensive line's not great, the backs are not great, complimented Jalen Hurts and CeeDee Lamb, but said with our game plan we should be able to dominate them and feel really good about it. So you better believe that's already made the rounds on Twitter. I'm looking at the original tweet from Brandon Drum, which has already over 100,000 views and that's after this has just been published here for a few hours, about for about one hour. It's been up on uh, on Twitter, and it's already over a hundred thousand views. That's going to make the rounds uh, over the next forty eight hours. You better believe it. So, Patrick Queen's going to have to live with that and make good on those comments. And I do believe actually Patrick Queen is a huge part of this game for LSU because. Oklahoma is going to try to get the ball to athletes in space. Uh, we've seen C.D. Lamb enough this year. Throw him a four-yard uh, out and let it become a 40-yard out. On a catch and run after he makes a guy miss. That's when guys like Patrick Queen have to defend sideline to sideline and make tackles in space. So be a big game for number eight, even more so now after, uh, after those comments at uh, Media Day at the Peach Bowl Thursday morning. Okay, it's locked on LSU. When we return, we'll give you the Oklahoma perspective from Josh McQuistian of Sooner Scoop. As we wrap up another edition of the Locked on LSU podcast, chat with Josh McQuistian of Sooner Scoop. A lot of the OU media guys have been really generous with their time um, throughout the course of, of preparing over the last three weeks for this game. So very much grateful for all of them, including Josh McQuistian. Again, SoonerScoop.com. Had a chance to spend about 10 minutes with Josh. I'll let you hear part of our conversation. In part, we'll start here with his reaction to the three suspended players, which has now been confirmed by Lincoln Riley. Well, you know, we started to hear word, I, I guess it was not yesterday, obviously, but the Sunday preceding, that something was going on. There was something, there was a team meeting where they had announced some guys were going to be in some trouble. We kept hearing, you know, as many as a dozen guys. There, there were so many names that were thrown around, but you kept kind of coming back to these three, no matter who you talk to. And it just sounds like it doesn't sound like anything terribly serious. It just sounds like, uh, you know, to to be you know just honest, college guys being college guys. And there, uh, you know, like you mentioned, Riley has now confirmed that Oklahoma is going to be without those guys. And in a couple of cases, in one of the cases, Trajan Bridges, it's a loss that Oklahoma can live with. He's a young receiver, going to be very good, but he's not there yet. He's not a big contributor. The other two, Ronnie Perkins and Ramondre Stevenson, that are those guys are big difference makers. They, you know, Ramondre Stevenson scored the game-winning down in the Big 12 championship game, and Ronnie Perkins was one of the better defensive performers all season. So, I mean, he's been a big part of that defense turning itself around. So, that those are key losses for Oklahoma. And then we find out last week that their starting safety Turner Yell broke his collarbone. How- if you would walk us through how significant a loss that is and what the, the backup uh, strategy is there. To me, he is the biggest loss Oklahoma has suffered. And I know OU fans think I'm crazy to say that. But what you look at is along the defensive line, Oklahoma actually has some depth. They have some players they feel good about. The gap, but uh, Ronnie Perkins, probably along with Neville Gallimore, are their two best defensive linemen. But the gap between Ronnie Perkins and his replacement is much smaller than that between Delaire and Turner Yale 
and Justin Broyles his likely replacement. I, you know, we we've looked at snap counts on Pro Football Focus, and I believe since that Kansas State loss, Justin Broyles has had like 30 snaps. I mean, Oklahoma has been very diligent with their safety grouping of Delarin, Turner, Yale, and Patrick Fields, and they they've stuck with those two. And this is a defense that likes to shuffle players. They like to cycle the guys in and out, keep them fresh. But at that one position, they've been very steadfast that they're only going to start two guys or really play two guys. So I think it kind of indicates to you where Oklahoma feels about their backups. Josh McQuishan is with us. He's on Twitter at Josh underscore scoop. It's Sooner Scoop. We're on Twitter at Sooner Scoop. They've had all the Oklahoma news here in the past couple of weeks, so he's good enough to join us for a couple of minutes as well. So how does this defense slow Joe Burrow and the LSU offense? You know, the the easiest answer is because, like I mentioned, Oklahoma's strength is up front. They're, they're front, front seven with Kenneth Murray, Neville Gallimore, uh, Jalen Redmond, you know, an emerging difference maker. They have some playmakers in the front seven. That secondary, especially without Turner Yale, is shaky. Oklahoma's just going to have to be aggressive and hope they can get home on occasion. I mean, to me, they can't sit back, sit back and drop seven and hope that that's going to work. I, I, Joe Burrow's just too good. Those receivers are too good. That offensive line is not going to give up that many plays to a you know a three man or four man rush. So Oklahoma's going to have to get aggressive and do. And, and you know, frankly, that's what this defense is. So it's not like they have to step out of their comfort zone really to do these things, but it does obviously have inherent risk. You know, Josh, it's when you play a team all the time. Some of the subtleties and nuances of a roster or absences become more obvious because LSU and Oklahoma, I mean, they haven't played since since the, the 03 championship game. So many people here are just focusing on the suspensions and the injuries. What else is a prominent storyline this week in Norman? I think really it's, it's everybody coming to grips that Oklahoma is not the team that everybody knows them as. This is a ball control offense that wants to eat up clock and then let their defense make some plays, like I said, be aggressive and try to get the ball back as quickly as possible to that offense. They are very different than the 52-49 shootouts that everybody's so familiar with. And I think, and I understand, I mean, for LSU fans, they can probably relate because this isn't the LSU team that everyone's known for the last decade. They I mean, flipped. This is a high flying. It's crazy. I mean, they, they flipped. They really Exactly. They have reversed roles. It's very interesting to see how this has played out. But to me, one of the big storylines is going to be that LSU defensive line against Oklahoma's offensive line. Last year, that Oklahoma group was so good, produced four NFL draft picks, along with Creed Humphrey, who's come back this year as one of the better centers in the country. But they have had some problems on the edge. And I, Caleb Von Shashan is a guy I covered in high school going through recruiting. I know how talented that guy is. So Oklahoma's going to have to find some answers to keep him from being just a complete detriment to what they're trying to do offensively. This is, like I said, it's an interesting game because it's two very different styles and both teams are playing styles that over the course of the season they've become familiar with, but they're playing roles that they're both very unaccustomed to. So true. Uh, Do you think that Oklahoma having been through this before, meaning the the whole semifinal, the playoff system and everything, d- does this play a role? Be- because this is new for LSU. As much success as the program's had over two decades, they- they've never done this before. 
you know, there probably is some small advantage, but I will say this Oklahoma team is not long on on-field experience in these scenarios. I mean, there are, you know, you've got the the stars, C.D. Lamb, and like I said, Creed Humphrey. Obviously, Jalen Hurts has been in these scenarios. I mean, there are pieces of the puzzle that know what it's like, but this is a very young Oklahoma team. I mean, the, the, a lot of these guys have never played in this kind of game. So defensively, you have a little bit more comfort, but especially on offense, these, you know, it's seven, eight guys in that starting lineup that have never played a meaningful snap in these kind of games. So I, I think it matters, but it's one of those things it might matter for the first five minutes, and then everybody just starts playing football. Yeah. Has anybody stopped CeeDee Lamb at all this year? Other than, I mean, you know, I hate to fire a shot, but other than probably Jalen Hurts at times, no, not really. I mean, <laughs> you know, he. They, there have been times when you could see clear frustration from CeeDee Lamb, who, you know, frankly had just become accustomed to catching passes from Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray that were always where they were supposed to be and everything's on time. Jalen Hurts has been there for eight, nine months. That You're just not going to have that sort of cohesion. That, that's just not fair to expect. But at the same time, you know, nobody ever expected a star receiver to be completely fair to his quarterback. So that's – he. like I said, I you know, OU's had a lot of great receivers. To me, there's really no question. He's the best of the bunch. CeeDee Lamb is a, a special, special guy. And, you know, it's there's a decent chance we're watching his last Oklahoma game on Saturday. If you want to hear our entire conversation with Josh McQuistion, you can get to 1045ESPN.com. Click After Further Review On Demand, and you'll see it right there. Uh, tomorrow we will be in Atlanta. John Hoover of Locked On Sooners and I planning to do another crossover episode preparing you for the game, so be on the lookout for that sometime uh, late morning on Friday. In the meantime, please subscribe to the podcast, rate us on iTunes, leave a review. All of that is massively helpful and we appreciate it. Until next time, Locked on LSU, your team every day.